Hello, and welcome to February's edition of Deliver More. Now, February is a short month. February is a cold month. It's a month that begins with the eyes of America looking up to Puxatawney, PA, up in that gobbler's notch to see if that little creature is in fact going to see its shadow. We don't know about that yet, but the two gentlemen I have with me today cast a long shadow here uh, at Intech. So I, I'm really, really happy to welcome these guys. Mike Patterson is with me again. Hello, Mike. Hello, Nick. Hello, Tony. And we are so, so excited for our guest today. Mike introduced Mr. Tony Abato. Tony, welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. We appreciate <laughs> you making the trip up. Um, we, we've got to get this going. Today, our, our edition of Deliver More is called Sales Uncensored. So we're going to take you behind the curtain into the life of a career salesman. And, and I've got to tell you, I'm really excited to, to learn a little bit about your particular journey, Tony, through this business. So if you could get us started today, uh, could you tell everybody just a bit about yourself? Let's start way before you got to Intech, though. Okay. Uh, journey sounds ominous. But it <laughs> <is funny. laughs> uh, um, I was, uh, when I was a small boy, when I graduated college, uh, after six years, uh, <laughs> Dr. Abato at the, university, yeah, <laughs> at the university, I had uh, no clue what I wanted to do with my life. I had, I was uh, an English and history major. Um, and, uh, and that's all I really ever took. And my father was an attorney. And when I went home after college, I can remember him, uh, putting his arm around me and saying, Tom, uh, you need to go into sales because you're not going to get anything else out there. So he got me interviews in Xerox and, AV and IBM because he had old fraternity brothers who were big there and they were sales guys. And I was offered jobs there and I took Xerox and, and it was the best move I ever made uh, as it relates to a sales career. So uh, okay. did you have any other roles or you just went right into sales from graduating? Right in, in, back in that day in my journey, um, the way they did things was they would hire pledge classes for each branch, 10, 12 sales guys. And their, and their um, uh, template was to find young, right out of college, they were looking the best and the brightest, smartest um, young people without sales baggage who had never been salespeople because Xerox and IBM could afford to train them extensively, which they did. Okay. Um, once I bought into the Xerox model, um, you know, they would send you away for seven days a month for 12 months um, for sales training, nothing else. You don't see that kind of thing anymore. I'm selling copiers, for God's sakes, and um, starting to compete against little distributors around the country or the, my, my turf. Um, that they're, they're, The extent of their training for their people was, you know, here's the platen, here's where you put the ink, go out, you can sell this stuff. <laughs> and I'm going out and I'm learning, you know, I'm learning how to handle objections. I'm learning how to um, craft a message, how to say things. Uh, we called it the elevator uh, pitch at the, uh, at the time, it probably still is. You know, you, you're, you're knocking on doors. That's all I did. My first job was knocking on doors. It wasn't there, you know, there were, the only mail that was done, direct mail, was once a month. And they would mail to the same people every month a message. And if you got 1% of people calling back and saying, well, why don't you have a sales guy come out? 
um, you had a great month with the, with the direct mail. Otherwise, you only developed opportunity from knocking on doors cold. Wow. Um, and that takes a lot of stamina, a lot of, lot of you know, and, 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 you know, Xerox was the kind of place where you got in the morning every day, suited up, tie, crisp shirt. They told you how to dress. Eight o'clock in the morning meeting, get back in your, go out in your turf by 8.30, get back by five. So you could have a meeting about what you accomplished that day. Oof, that's um, rough. Talk about being uh, like accountable for everything yeah. that had to happen that day. There was no place to hide. I would walk in the door in the, in the bullpen with my handful of cards that I got from when I went into a room and the front desk would give me a card and I write my notes of what kind of copier they had. Did they have a lease? Uh, how long have they had it? Are they happy? So that we could start building a, a pipeline. Um, you know, and, and it was all scientific based on experience. I knew every day for that, that four-year job in that, in that uh, position that I needed at the beginning of every 30-day month a pipeline of 30 different A opportunities. I mean, it was that. And if I didn't, I sat down in front of my manager, which I did once a day. And he said, Tom, it's the first and you, and you have 28. You're not going to make your number. And you, and you know, you, as a young kid, 22 years old, you don't believe it until it happens to you. You know, it, I had 28. I missed it by one. It was amazing. So that gave me a profound belief in statistics based on reality. And the reality part is really the harder part. Statistics are one thing, but pipelines are all about telling the truth, about you know, um, being honest and, and open about where you stand. Um, and if you're not doing that, then statistics are kind of worth it. At least that's what yep. I learned by experience. Mike mentioned an interesting word there, talking about your, your typical day back then. Accountability is one thing, and that's absolutely true. But you guys coming back uh, to kind of meet together at five o'clock. That seems like a kind of teaching tool that I don't know if everyone's taking the time to do that now, um, yeah. where you can all kind of huddle together and say, well, here's, here's, here's the, the pitfalls. Here's the things we learned. Here's the mistakes we made. I mean, that, that, that seems like an invaluable thing. Well, you know, and we had the same kind of meeting at the, at the beginning of the day. It was about, you know, we called it the sales bullpen. Every mm -hmm. facility had a place where the salespeople had um, the 10 people, 12 people, each one had a little desk in a room. Each one had a phone. They had a big whiteboard with where you stood for the month on a daily basis. How many equivalent units, they called it EUs, per copier. So you're building it as the days go by. That's where the meeting was at the beginning of the day and the meeting at the end of the day. And it was, then why, how come you, Tony, why you came back, why did you come back with uh, only three cards today? I went to the Rusty Scupper at yeah. noon and never left, you know, or, or um, come up with, you know, what happened that, that, you know, I'm just not getting any activity. When I knock on the door, they just shoo me out. Well, let's talk about how to get around that situation, guys. How do you do it, Ted? You know, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. the other thing that I used to love about this was everybody had their own territory. Like I had Baltimore County and some of the mm -hmm. city that kind of stuff and each and it was exclusive so you couldn't sell on somebody else's turf if you're having a bad month a lot of times the manager would say look tony you travel with jeff Briette today um tra travel with him on friday and in, in his turf and then reciprocate on the following friday and what would happen was you'd go out and you would just follow him 
And then li I would just follow him, listen to him. And then we'd start having fun. I would start, you know, you know how it happens when you're not selling anything, you get all twisted up and all mm -hmm. tight, um, you know, nervous about, you know, you, where you're going. I mean, you could get, you have three bad months at Xerox and you're out the door. Um, and suddenly you're having fun again. And it's amazing how the following Monday, yeah. the fun parts back. Took the pressure off. Big, wow. It's big, big difference. It's, it's interesting too that you start out at a big company like Xerox and Xerox does allow you to kind of uh, time to evolve in, into the kind of salesperson that you want to be. Um, I, want to, I want to focus on that evolution of, of how you go from a big place like Xerox and how you end up at Intech. And uh, do you remember <laughs> how you met Mike Patterson here? <laughs> He's my child. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the resemblance. Um, Cats out of the yeah, bag. I can, but let me take one step back. And if I'm overdoing it, just tell me. But not at all. Um, the 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 biggest thing I got out of Xerox was not just the Xerox was not just the sales training. It was being in a in the right place at the right time and having the ability because of the sales to grasp it. And that was I went from Xerox to a software company. Uh, enterprise-wide, that's accounting, distribution, manufacturing software, to the whirlpools of the world and the intels of the world. I mean, the software was, a, a deal was $400 million. Um, now, went somewhere along the line in that end, I was ready to go. I was ready to try a little company. I felt like um, when you have to send an email to get an email, to get an email, to get a meeting, to get a meeting, to get a meeting, that where nobody shows up, I'm kind of bored with that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of bored with the, the, uh, the politics and, the, and, and just the over redundant people. You know, it, it, I got jaded. Okay. Uh, and I said, I'm going to try something else. And one of, and I had a, a guy who I, I've known from, from when I was a kid and we started a consulting company for, for working with small companies. We started, we started our own. Actually he started, I worked for him, but um, to a large degree anyway. Uh, and it was another great experience because I was, we were finding companies were coming to us in Baltimore city saying, you have this pedigree, um, and we need help. We're, we're, I own this company and I'm not a sales guy and guess what's killing me sales. So how, how can you help me? Um, we used to put seminars up and I had known Mike through family accidentally, minimally, my, my sister and Mike went to the same college. So they would end up at my beach house uh, a couple times a summer and drink all my beer. <laughs> Doesn't um, sound like you, Mike. Sorry. End up <laughs> pissing me off. And, uh, <laughs> Not Mike. And that was about it. And then somehow I think, and, and Mike, you might remember this better, but it, I remember we had a seminar and I think I may have called you and invited you because I knew what you were doing. My father loved Mike and he said, you know, this guy's selling Teflon. Um, yeah. You got to, in, in Wilmington, for God's sakes, you, you got to talk <laughs> to him. My father's picture of you know, a money machine in the basement. Yeah. So um, I remember the exact phone call, believe it or not, Tone. No kidding. I remember you're doing the seminar. And so I've just for his background, like I've, like, like Tony said, I mean, 
Tony's sister and my wife are best friends. So I've known Tony okay. for a while and, you know, all through college. And Tony was always a guy that at family events, he was always like the quiet, super intimidating Italian guy in the corner that we like, as a college guy, I always be like, oh, hello, Tony. I'd be like <laughs> real nervous around him. And so there was one day when um, I was in my office at, at Intech and Mary uh, buzzed my desk and was like, yeah, there's a phone call from a Tony Abato. And I was like, shook i was like why is tony calling me like is this like what is you know i was like this was really yeah, how, how did i piss him off yeah exactly <laughs> what did i say something like and so then he invited me to the seminar he and his partner were hosting in baltimore about just you know sales and business growth and stuff like that and and uh, so i went down for that and that's that was kind of the beginning of how we started working together because we then in the, uh, started working together you know on a consultant type basis um with tony's company as, as to how in tech had kind of uh, continue to grow uh, and kind of take in tech into some different directions, which Tony was an integral part of. Yeah. Well, what, it, it, let's stay with you for a second, Mike. What was in tech like, uh, let's say, weeks, the weeks and months before Tony comes in? Tell so it, it was small. I mean, so this is back in 2000. Um, I think you started maybe Six, in 2006 five. or yeah, something like that. And so it was just Bob Kazmarsik, who was my partner at the time, his daughter, Anne. Um, Mary, Karen, and um, the the warehouse, you know, people in the warehouse. And I think we had a part-time warehouse person then. So it was a small organization, you know, a handful of people. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody wore a lot of hats, like any small company. Um, we were, you know, obviously selling Teflon, but that's all we were doing. And, and I was the primary salesperson. Um, I didn't really have, I had a sales process that worked for me, but I was responsible for myself. So it wasn't like a big, um, robust sales process with a bunch of people doing it. It was essentially me trying to, you know, grow the company. So it was, it was small. It was pretty grassroots, I think is an easy way to describe that. Um, pretty basic. And, you know, honestly, it's a lot like what many of our customers deal with day to day now where, you know, they don't have a ton of resources. They're a job shop and they have a salesperson or some people with sales responsibility, but, you know, it was a lot like that. It's, you know, kind of simplistic, but yet effective and, and cost effective too. And can I Go just, ahead, Tony. what I saw was uh, what you do, right? You're right, Mike. You see it all over the industry in any industry, really. Um, Mike's the young guy out of college, full of piss and vinegar. Um, uh, and he's almost without even knowing it, they're saying, you're going to be the sales guy. Um, you're going to be involved in sales because, you know, you're, you, you're energetic and, and you're willing to work hard. Um, and Mike used to walk around and he did always worked hard, always worked smart, always had a folder with uh, <laughs> a uh, Excel spreadsheet line in it that he made, you know, he made for himself. He also had a, uh, um, one seat of Salesforce. No, it wasn't even Salesforce. Oh, was it? No, it was. Um, it was one of the. It was like Peach, not Peachtree. It was Act. Act was that one? Act. Yeah, the Act's the original. Act. Yeah, it was like the. It was the big name there, but it was garbage compared to what they all do now. Well, it was garbage, and and also, you know, what happens when people who aren't salespeople, and Mike at the time, you know, he was out of college, MBA, all that kind of stuff, but he wasn't a trained sales guy, and that's what we normally find in this industry. 
um, left to his own desserts, did a pretty good job of how he would follow up and how he would manage an opportunity through a cycle all the way to the end. He'd watch it. But, you know, he did it by blood and guts. There was no training involved. Um, and, and even the act system, I think you probably, is probably true, Mike. It really wasn't, it's, even though it might be, uh, you know, not a great system, it wasn't used the way it could have been used. Absolutely. I didn't, I was, it was, you know, it was, I was using it for me not to manage a team or not to even use metrics to see how effective things are. It was just like a repository for data. That's all I was using it for. And, and I would tell you that, you know, there are a lot of people out there, you know, a lot of people who might see this who have, have been forward thinking enough in their company to say, look, let's get Salesforce, they're the best. Um, and they get Salesforce and they're not using 1% of it. And they're not using 1% yeah. of it because they don't understand that, you know, the full complexity and the depth of possibilities if you really use it. They're using it for a place to put my contacts right. that I can pick up real quick. And that's a shame. Um, but unless you have somebody who has experience with um, uh, making the most out of a program like that uh, and seeing what it can do to your sales force, which, which is grow sales and consistently grow sales, not just a flash in the dark, not a big sale for the year that affects your numbers, something you can count on that will, with activities, um, make you very prosperous, sell a lot more stuff. Well, all right. So you, you obviously have a very uh, good understanding of what it takes to sell and the sales process itself uh, uh, across a number of industries now. Um, let's talk about selling in the, the coatings world mm-hmm. specifically. And, and of course, we're talking about Teflon coatings here on Deliver More uh, in particular. Now, if a Teflon coder uh, wants to have a strong sales process, uh, what are the things they need to have? Well, you know, you can talk about Teflon coders, you can talk about uh, selling toothpicks. There are fundamentals in all sales processes, no matter what, no, how old that process is, no matter what the product is, that must be adhered to for success. And, and again, I'll say the same thing I said a minute ago. Success is tied to um, consistency, consistent success. Uh, you know, little blips up and down are not a good sales cycle mm-hmm. or a sales approach. Um, so the, uh, the, uh, when I, when I think of the, and we've done a lot of seminars, Mike and I, and others in the company, um, and apart with Teflon coders in front of, you know, in different locations. And one of the pieces was always about sales. And if I was going to prototype what I typically see as a, as a, um, Teflon sales approach, it is, you, I look at a company where the owner is not a sales guy, not a trained sales guy, really never a sales guy. Um, and he needs, but, but now he's an owner of this company, whether he started the company or took it over or bought it. And he says to himself, I got to get sales going here. I got I to gotta make things happen. I can't have this or I can't have that. Um, and he really doesn't know how to. So what he'll do is he'll go out and he'll find somebody who he hopes is coming from the industry and has like maybe a Rolodex. So what the, I don't even know what you call a Rolodex anymore. It's got a list. Of, <laughs> what do you, what do you, a database town? A database. <laughs> Contact list? Yeah. That's what it is. So, um, 
so you know that th this guy knows a lot of people and he'll sell a lot of stuff and the guy's not even really a sales guy he doesn't know how to rein it in and and uh um go out and 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 uh, put a, a sales cycle together or an understanding of what he's trying to accomplish with each and every opportunity he doesn't know how to develop opportunity or maybe the company says i have a son like mike was i'm going to let him be in charge of sales and that guy's not a sales guy but you know what? I always go back to, you know, most people grow up thinking they can be sales because they minimize the complexity and the difficulty of being a sales guy. That's it's because well because your mother has been for years saying, oh, that Tony, he can be a sales guy. He's funny as heck. Um, it has <laughs> nothing to do with humor. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it has to do with working hard in a process that you've got to, you know, working hard, a lot of people work hard and never get anything done. This is working within a process that is proven or developed over time that you know you can take somebody from, hello, hi, I'm Joe, and I'm thinking about Teflon, to, oh yeah, Teflon makes a lot of sense for me here. It's a no-brainer, I'm, I'm gonna start using it. Right, and there are a lot of steps that you you need to you have to have through that kind of thing. You just can't you don't say Joe, give it a shot, or Joe, buy X. You have to go through a process, and what does that process look like? It looks, it, the, Joe's got to to um, be introduced to the product um, verbally, maybe by you know taking him to another shop, maybe by showing him how it works on the same thing. Maybe by saying, Joe, if I could give you a, 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 uh, um, an amount of, of Teflon for you to coat and you could test it on what you're looking to buy it for, would that be a good test? Those are the kinds of things you build into a process with any given prospect. Nick, I think early on, one of the things that Tony did that really, um, really impressed me and, and taught me a lot about sales and it's the type of things that are still part of the fabric of what we do today is that he Tony's a master at asking questions to understand how everything works so Tony came into this with the tremendous sales background but didn't know jack about Teflon or what the Teflon process should really look like so the first part of time of us working together was a lot of Tony and I sitting and Tony being like help me understand this who's that who's the real decision makers who has value for what you know who are the influencers how does the how are the companies set up why wouldn't this happen why wouldn't that happen a lot of what ifs but what it really did at the end of all that time is Tony now was able to take you know, a big mystery and, and turn it into a clear process that said, okay, so here's the things we need to find out through every call. And, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to get it in one phone call. It might take 10 phone calls or 20 phone calls, but here's the things we need to find out. And here's the steps that need to happen to go from the first contact with somebody that might be interested in a Teflon coating to actually sending a gallon out of the warehouse. And that was something that we didn't have before. I was doing everything by gut feel and I, you know, and, and, oh. and it was fine. It worked out, but it wasn't a way to be repeatable and scalable in the way to bring new people in and say, here's the process. Here's the way you need to do this job to be successful. And, and that's what Tony really, when we talk about the process, it was that it was taking his decades of experience and applying it to a vastly different world, but where the principles are all the same. You know, like Tony said at the beginning, you can sell Teflon, you can sell toothpicks. And, mm -hmm. and, he, and he's right. The process is in general going to follow the same path. 
there's going to be nuances that are different, obviously, but it's going to be the same. And, and Tony is just super adept at understanding what that should look like and, and then customizing it for the world of Teflon. It's, it's tough. You know, I, I can't imagine having to learn the ins and outs of Teflon. I know my sales. I've got it down. It's a, it's a line in Arthur Miller's play. It's a selling is selling, but you've got to fit it into this, this uh, avenue where you have to have a lot of technical product knowledge. I, I mean, um, how does that work with the sales process? Uh, you do have to, somebody has to have that kind of um, knowledge about the product, but the, you know, and the, and the reality is I think we, we have a tendency to over uh, complexity things uh, or make things overly complex. Sure. There, there's no need to know the binary code of Teflon. Um, you know, there are four or five or six things that anybody cares about. How long is it going to last? How hard is it to put on? What are the steps I have to put on? Um, what are the, what on my line, what kind of equipment would I need at what temp? you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, I've always, uh, you know, I remember my first manager said, look, we're going to, we're going to develop a way to handle all objections. We're going to develop a way to handle all um, uh, requirements in the products we sell. At some point, you know them all. At some point, it's quantified down to nine or 10 things. Over time, you can build that in your, into your sales process. I've covered these things. This guy should be ready to buy or not to buy. You know, sometimes it's as important to qualify somebody out as not a buyer as it is to qualify somebody in. But you do that throughout the process. Right. Um, and, 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 uh, it's, I just, you know, and Michael tell you, I have this tendency to, to minimize complex, you know, to, to, uh, maybe think things are a little simpler than they really are. But I really do believe that most things can be, um, sold without having to get a doctorate in it. I don't need to be the font of all technical knowledge to sell something to somebody, um, who cares about, and that's what you have to find out with the question asking, what do you care about? You know, what's going what's to make you buy this stuff? What's yeah. going to make you not buy this stuff? What's the big thing that would, you would say, I can't do it because of that? It might be, you may be, you might, Elvis might be leaving the building right there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a kind of comes down to one thing, Tony, and this is early on, I, I kind of knew what this was, but you put the term around it for me, which is you have to learn how to speak the language of the industry, no matter what you're selling. So in the world of Teflon, there's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, uh, scientific stuff and, and performance data and, and things along those lines. But you need to, as long as you can understand what people are after and you have a, a, you have to have at least a minimal base knowledge to be able to understand what they're after and be able to talk about what the products can do that might fit those needs. But at the end of the day, we have the resources either in-house of people that know more or, or with our partner Camores, where we, if a question gets too hairy, we can go to them or we can bring them in for a meeting, fly them across the country, have a phone call, Zoom, whatever it's going to be, you know, Tony's right. I mean, we don't have to know every answer to every question within our walls. We have to have access to that data. And, and we're not, we're not too uh, proud to say, Hey, that's a great question. Give me a day and I'll get your answer for you. I think that's, that's a tremendous thing that Tony hammered onto all of our salespeople. 
don't bullshit people. If you oh, don't know the answer, say you don't know the answer, but follow up and get the answer. Because that's if you don't do that, your credibility shot for yourself and for the company. So, you know, kind of in summary, I mean, that's a big thing. You don't have to be a, a chemical engineer to do this job. In fact, if I look at all the salespeople at Intech, we have one chemical engineer in the 28 years Intech's been around. Wow. Everybody else has a variety of backgrounds, but we make it work. Well, and you, you, you have a collective uh, wealth of experience and you, you just brought up something. I, I very much have a, uh, a novice's grasp on a lot of this stuff and you learn, you learn some gems over time. Um, something that was just brought up, I want you to talk a little bit about because I think our listeners will enjoy uh, hearing this one in particular. It struck me uh, like out of the blue. Uh, Tony, you said qualifying out is just as important as qualifying in. Uh, if we could talk about the why behind that, that, that's a huge takeaway from listening to this Deliver More. Well, think about when you get up at the beginning of a day and you start your day. And if you really, if you were dark, like my grandfather, and thought about things in a dark, you would look at it and go, I don't have much time today. I, I, got, I got X number. I, I need to be resourceful and I need to spend my time wisely to meet my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, why would anybody want to spend time on a loser? Why would, if you know going in um, that this, is, or if you find out that is that the opportunity is not a good thing for you, why would you want to spend your, your, your time or effort? You don't want to put a round hole in a square peg. It's actually being not a good person to sell something to somebody he doesn't need. But even more importantly, why waste your time? Because it's going to take longer. You're going to have un, unhappy customers. I'd much prefer to get them off my list and go to the people who need my product or that I need to ferret out whether or not they need my product. Um, you know, one you know, that we call, and we do it here is the, is the, uh, um, the uh, going through a pipeline. The scrubs? Scrub, yeah, scrubs. I was hoping pipe. you were gonna bring this up because I was going <laughs> to if you didn't. Yeah, I mean, when, and this is something that I learned with with Xerox and most companies do it, I think is you, you have your sales guy and you have the, his sales manager, let's say, and you look at and, you, and Salesforce and other co- systems like that can print out what your, what your um, whole prospect list was, looks like, like your, that include your A prospects going to close soon, B soon, but not as soon as A's, C's that are in the middle of a, the process. And it really could go either way, 50-50 those kinds of things. And, and the best process in the world, and we love it, is to be able to sit down with the sales guy with his list of opportunities from D prospects all the way through A and start talking about them. Where do they stand? Um, what have you done with them yet? What blocks are you finding? What's your forecast out of 100%? What would you think it would be? Um, 30% it's going to close. Well, when's it going to close? Or you say this is an A prospect. Why is it being a pro? And, and that, that means based on our definition that an A prospect is going to close within 30 days. I've noticed that that's been an A prospect for six months. Why is that? You're looking for reasons to take things off of the list um, so that you can, you know, move on. And, and the reason yeah. for this is sales guys, and we're all guilty of it, get attached to certain companies. They don't like reality. It's understandable. I remember days when at Xerox where I was, I almost didn't like to get the sale because I had to take them off my pipeline. I mean, that's bizarre. That's twisted. That's a sickness. Um, after a while, you grow up and you say, let's just be honest about this thing. It's because, why? Because maybe 
if you need 10 prospects on your list to make it the month and you're five, you can look around the room, guys, how can I put some stuff on here? Who, who yeah. needs to call? You know, those guys, as a team, it's awfully important. Yeah, the the sales scrub is a key part of the sales process because, like Tony said, like salespeople tend to think more is better and have like a huge pipeline. And look at my number; it's a three million dollar right. pipeline, but really it's like a two hundred thousand dollar pipeline because it's all either overinflated or filled with a bunch of junk. So, you know, <laughs> you haven't really witnessed it, probably, Nick, but like. Um, Usually the sales scrub is done behind closed door because it's super uncomfortable, especially oh, yeah. when Tony's doing it. And you're, you're like, <laughs> you want to talk about feeling like you're in a hot seat. Like it's awkward. It's, but at the end of the day, you get better at it. And the first couple are painful. Sure. And then you start either policing yourself and checking it because you don't want to keep going to see Tony once a month and have him ask the same questions because he has an uncanny ability to remember the ones that he brought up before that were dogs and they're still on your list. So you better have a damn good reason why it's still on your list. Um, when it's really uncomfortable is when Tony does it and it's like everybody in one room. So you're getting your pipeline scrubbed in front of the other sales guys. And that's wow. like, talk about being on, like the, on the, under the lights, you know, it's a mm. lot of pressure, but you know, it's, it's, you have to be able to handle that. And that's, you know, that's probably as a salesperson, one of the harder things internally that we really push people for, because you have to be accountable, you know, right. time is money. And if people are chasing a bunch of nonsense, that's not good for the company. So, you know, this is something that Tony has been doing since day one. Like when I was, I was the owner, but I was still like, Tony scrub my pipeline because it was a part of the process and I'm not above the process. I do it just like everybody else. And I wanted to be accountable. And, and so it's something that early on Tony, you know, hammered me with. And I was like, wow, this is. I, I actually sort of worried about Mike a little bit because he <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> talking about sickness. <laughs> well, the whip. You know, you know, here's a, you know why though, Tone? Because like when you're, when you are a leader or an owner and all that stuff, you don't really get a performance review ever. At the end of the year, nobody's reviewing me. Mm. You know, the only thing that reviews me is the, is the numbers and do we make mm. money or not? So it's, it was refreshing for me to have somebody go, this is, this is a bunch of nonsense. You're not doing a good job here or there. And, and Tony was always great at that. Like he, you know, even though, uh, you know, I, we worked together. He didn't let my position hold him back from delivering some harsh truths. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a hell of a teacher then in that sense. I mean, exactly. and, and what a, what a comforting thing to hear, hear that reality where there's, we work in a world where there's such an emphasis on having just a fat pipeline. Well, that doesn't really, it's not really worth a damn if you don't manage it correctly. So uh, I'm really glad you clarified that uh, for us in that segment. I have one uh, more kind of like sales directed question in that regard. A big part of this process that you're talking about creating and then having to manage the right way is talking to the right person. Uh, how do I get through to the decision maker? Those decision makers are usually well guarded though, uh, as we learn. And Mike, you were just talking about sometimes it's not five phone calls, sometimes it's 10 phone calls. Um, and those phone calls can be to quote unquote, the wrong people. Could you tell me, Tony, how does interacting with maybe the wrong person fit into a sales process? What can you take from that? How does it, interacting with the wrong person on the other end? Yeah. And how do you get around them to find the right person you mean? Yeah. You sure that's what you mean? <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? I'm looking at what can we take away from our interactions with, maybe it's not the person you want to speak to. I, yeah. I, when I get on the phone, I don't hesitate to tell somebody why I'm calling. 
And that's a first gut reaction for most people when they're starting on the phone is they think they somehow have to trick the person on the other end of the phone to get to the person they want to get to um, or pray to God that the person that answers will actually be that person. Um, I, I'm a big believer in the fact that there aren't all these walls to um, the, 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 you know, that, the girl or the, whoever at the front desk, um, if there is a front desk, is not paid to keep you out. They just need a reason to pass you along. And if you can, in a way, let them know you're, you're just another Joe like them, you are um, interested in finding out at an open-ended, don't give them a name, open-ended, who's responsible for this stuff I just mentioned to you about, that I talked to you about? I sell, I, we, we are the, large, the, uh, most ex, the, the uh, exclusive distributor of Teflon in the US. Companies, I think, I think like yours, um, based on what I saw on the internet, um, use um, coatings like us, but I didn't see our name on it. Who would be the person that might want to see the value of what we might be able to do for them? Now, nobody's going to pass you along if you're a jerk. Nobody's going to pass you along if you lied to them. They don't need that. Why? Because you're, they're passing it along to somebody that's going to, they're going to be looking, they're going to look bad by passing you along. So be honest, give them a good reason. Don't necessarily bang the doors down and say, I need to talk to them. Get the name, call back later. Yep. Call back another time. Get the person. One of the things we do, yeah, that Tony early on developed was, you know, as part of the sales training of the process was you do a lot of like dual calls where you listen to Tony make calls for half a day and then he listens. Do you make calls? You need part of the learning how to sell. And one of the things that always struck me about Tony when with all this is his ability to connect with people on that first call. And, you know, maybe because it will happen is you'll end up getting passed along who knows tone like what three five times maybe <laughs> you know it's hardly yeah. ever one before call you G get to the person call, call ge you'll never get out of the basement yeah i mean it, I, you, tony worked that's a good example tony had one we were trying to win back some old business and we had yeah. lost it years ago i mean it wasn't like we lost it yesterday it was years and tony just started at the <laughs> at the bottom and wormed his way through to finally get to the right person who truly had responsibility and decision-making capability over which coding they were going to use. And it took a long time and it took longer to requalify this. And that was, it was probably a total sales process of uh, a year, year yeah, and a half a maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but we still have that business today. And, wow. but the thing that always impressed me getting kind of back to where I want to go with this was like, you have to build as Tony said, to, to win that person over and justify them not ruining their name and, and passing you along. And so Tony, it's almost like chameleon, like, you know, you're, you're talking to some various people at various levels and you have to be able to connect with them in order for them to feel comfortable with you and confident that it's a good move to, to refer you on to the next person in line. And, and that was something I had no idea of, or I, I didn't, I had an idea, but I didn't have an appreciation of how critical that was in the sales process. And that's, that's a huge, huge factor when you're trying to work with big companies. A lot of older people like to be mentors. A lot of older people, if you come to them and say, look, I'm just starting out. Yep. Um, this is my job. I need one thing from you you know, it would, and, and tell them what that thing is. It's amazing 
how lax people can be when they just feel like all they're doing is helping somebody out. You just have to find the right buttons. The, his partner was an older guy and he might put me on certain projects as we try to do different things. And a lot of it was finding out the information we needed to do to decide whether or not we needed to do it. And he came back one time to my office and he said, how in the world can you stand this job? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, you said this, you say the same things all the time. And it's the exact same wording. And I said, because it works. Because I've found something over time here in this situation where I'm getting to the right people and I'm portraying, I'm describing what we need to describe to them. And it is hitting home. Um, there's nothing better when you're working with a sales team and you walk down the hallway and you hear out of each door the same crap you've been saying for, for months or years because they have adopted it because it wow. works. It opens a door. It opens a conversation. Um, you know, it, that's not only gratifying, but it, you know, it's a great way to start building a team that um, gets you where you want to be. Or they just see you coming and start regurgitating the stuff you've been saying one or the other. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Well, look, I think it's a very, room. It's an important point, too, to approach people. It's a very humanistic thing. Understand that person on the other end of the phone. Go from there. You can take something from everybody that you talk to and kind of, you know, you're, you're in the trenches together, for, for lack of a better term. And yep. I think having that, that frame start, of mind works. I'll start off a phone call with, hi, I'm Tony Abato with Intech Services. Yeah, I'm a sales guy and, and I'm looking because get it out of the way. Because they smelled yeah. you coming down the pipe. You were on exit 22. <laughs> you weren't even off the ramp. It's and they true. smelled you. Yeah. Well, well since we're, we're kind of in a, in a place now where we're discussing the people that we interact with and that we work with, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the people. Um, let's say you're a coding company. You've got your sales process down now. We just addressed it. You're ready to get your salespeople to work. Here's a question, though. Uh, can anyone do it? You know, did, are there certain things that you, uh, Mike, and you, Tony, look for in particular for a good salesperson? Hmm. Well, uh, let me, uh, you, I know I can see you like this. I think <laughs> one, one thing's for sure. Sales process and is a, a good sales process that is assured of potential to, to make it to, to be uh, successful cannot be in the hands of a part-time sales guy. Um, mm -hmm. It is so typical to see somebody who is relegated to um, to the need to sell stuff, and oh by the way, he also does payroll. Yeah, um, or he also fills in on the line uh, when when uh, Joe's yeah. out. Um, you I know, think, the biggest combination I see is sales and marketing. Oh, People yeah. are doing dual roles of sales and marketing. Yeah. I I'll, I'll freely admit I know nothing about marketing. First of all, I'm colorblind. And after that, I have no idea. About, and I've been in sales all my life. They're two different disciplines. What's colorblind have to do with it? Because there's a lot of color shit going on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. There's a lot of color shit going on. And yeah. we need to figure See, I that think, out. You know, I think the one thing that we've seen a lot of, and we had people that were part-time salespeople here that would be part, you know, dual role, a small company or multiple hats. And what they always end up doing, because sales is hard and sales yeah. will wear you down. And so what always ends up happening is supposed to be a 50-50 mix of sales and marketing ends up being a 5% sales, 95% <laughs> marketing. And it happens all the time. You know, internally, we've seen it. We've seen it with a lot of our customers who have 
you know, like Tony said, a salesperson has a couple of different responsibilities. And so I like that. I hadn't thought of that. The full-time part of it is a full commitment to get it done. That's, that's a good one. That's really if, well said. If you, have, if you have 15 things to do in a day and one of them is make 10 dials to see if you can get somebody new, <laughs> that'll be number 18. Yeah. You'll never get it done. And, and, and people, it's the first, because you got to get just, thing together it's a mojo you yeah to- well and that's where the crm helps because you can look in there and go hey i uh, see Uh-oh. you know because some days there might be that somebody's like, hey this this conversation went super long and i had a bunch of follow-up i only got nine in or seven in. Like, okay so i see the next day you only got four in. like so it's really interesting because in crm you can track that and there's it's a, you know it just really takes things away for people to hide behind you know because it's it's, yeah. it's out there and you know one of the reasons that the, the uh um most most companies don't have full-time sales. It's one of the questions we learned to ask really early on. Oh, you're in sales. How much are, are you a 40 hour a week guy? You do that. Is that all you do? We want to clarify that to understand who we're working with. But one of the reasons there aren't is because salesmanship is maligned. It is minimized by people who don't know what sales are. So they think a guy can get out of the 15 things, can pop in 10 cold calls in a day, and we'll start seeing activity. They have no idea that they don't have a shot of getting it done. So it's a fa- the, the effort is a failure. Yep. So it's, it's, it's not really about having the, uh, I guess years ago it was the little black book. Now it's your, your database, like we talked before, or yep. having, or picking a top guy from somebody else in a, in a, familiar business uh there's more to it as far as good and bad bad sales what what's what are the characteristics of someone good let me throw a couple out to um that and see like you run with them too so one of the things like my first one of my rules internally um that i can use to gauge whether a salesperson's going to make it or not make it at intech Mm -hmm. and i can figure this i can i say this is 60 to 90 days i'm i'm like 100 percent on this too is whether they ask questions both to the customers they're talking to or to the end users or engineers, but more importantly to me or to Tony or whoever's training them. Because if they're not asking questions, it means uh, it just means they're not getting it because no one gets selling Teflon out of the chute. And yeah. the people that don't ask questions are never connecting the dots and they're never going to be successful. So my first barometer of a, if somebody's going to be a good salesperson or not, and, and is are they asking questions and are they, um, confident enough in their own ability to say, hey, hey, I don't understand this. Can you go over this again or whatever it's going to be? But the the ability to be able to, to check yourself and to check your ego at the door and say, I don't get it. Help help me understand this is tremendously important in being a good salesperson. Rocco Bognet, I'll never forget it. I'm vice president of sales at the time. I'm sitting in, I have an office at the end and I hear on a Friday afternoon, he's flying in from East Jesus and he is sweaty and beat up. And he stops off at the president's office and says, hey, can, can I, and he starts ro- rolling out his digitizer and he puts his, it, the president's probably half looped already. And this guy sits down and he says, can I demonstrate this to you and you can tell me where I'm going wrong? Now, most people would never lay their spleen open to somebody to get <laughs> in their view, they're thinking, I don't need the torture of my, of the owner of the company beating me up. This guy made it a point. He knew he was going to get better, but he had to open his spleen first. 
And that's a, that's the kind of person you want to like. I you it did not, used to drive me you nuts. You come out of your room, and go, Tony. Is he is he talking to you? I mean, is he even asking any questions? About yep. It drove you nuts when somebody would knock on the door because you know they're not doing the right thing on the phone if they're not yep. asking those questions. Yeah, it's 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 real. It's a real good one. I mean, I think the other one it kind of goes hand in hand with that is you have to be emotionally uh, strong and resilient. I think is a way I would describe it because sales no matter what you're selling is filled with ups and downs so i feel like the people that do really well are the ones that can manage the ups without getting too high and manage the downs which happen more than the ups so you know to be able to manage that cycle where you're going up and down and just kind of ride the middle and you know the middle upper half is to me really important because it's long term is how you're going to be able to be successful and and just consistent with your, with your sales and with your life. And I've, I've found in my life that the, the people who have the best chance of, of managing that up and down, you know, managing the, the, the ups and downs of the, of your life as a sales guy are guy are people who are taking a process, um, uh, learning it and actually practicing it so that when they go to bed at night, they can sleep because they know they've done everything they can in that process to, to get it at, at knowing that you're going to have up and down. Mm-hmm. The people who are all full of agita are the people who um, know they're going to the rusty scupper at noon and missing a half a day, you know, or whatever. And they're just not doing the job or they're just not believing in the job enough to do it. So, you know, get up, whatever that process may be, you know, to be able to, to say, I'm, I'm 100% in, I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. Now, notwithstanding though, it is important to celebrate the wins because they don't happen as often as the losses in this game. So, you know, Tony put in, in his office a bell. So if you, if you have a nice sale or one of your opportunities, is that where that came from? Yeah. Tony, Tony put that in. And so you're supposed to go up and ring it. And then, you know, which is nice because you hear it throughout the office. You're like, Oh, who who rung the bell? And you go out there and, and see, you know, what's going on. And so it's good. It's good for morale, uh, you know, amongst the company and all that. So it is important to do that. You know, the downside of that comes when people ring the bell for, just taking an order that we would have gotten anyway, or they start doing victory laps for no real reason. But you know, that doesn't happen. This is, that's really just one person that does a lot of that. But yeah. that's when you take your shoe off and throw it out. There's a, shoe there's a, there's underneath the bell. There's a encrypted coffee is for closes. There it is. I want to touch on one thing. Um, when you were talking about to, to put a, a cap on this little portion about uh, the people, that you got to bring in it to, uh, to see your vision through and, and to trust the process. Whether I'm hiring from the outside, whether I'm, I'm promoting from within, um, how do I know someone's right for this role, Mike? Like it's, in particular, what should an owner and a manager look for? I think a lot of it's the, the couple things we touched on. Their ability to ask questions, their ability to absorb the information, uh, to learn the products, to be able to speak the language the emotional stability to be able to handle the ups and downs. And then I think the last one I, I think really kind of fits into the, is the ability to be a team player because at least for us, I think with every coding company that I am aware of, 
you know, the, the sales team's a part of the team. They're not free agent rogue that, you know, run around trying to steal and be sharks to each other. So it's important to have that t- sales team where they're helping each other out, where they support each other, because, you know, those ups and downs come and go, and they usually happen at different times for different people. So right. the, the, one of the nice things is seeing, like, we have multiple salespeople here, is like when one person's down, the other people help them out and pick them up. And kind of like what Tony was saying, you know, if you're down, maybe go into somebody else's territory for a day to kind of get yourself juiced up again. And so I think that part of it, being a team player, especially in a small company, is is a, a tremendous um, asset. And because let's face it, I mean, it takes one bad seed to ruin a small, a, the you know, the culture and the environment in a small company. So we, to me, that's something that I pay close attention to is just the dynamic and and those of all four of those things. And can I add one thing? Yeah, as many as you want to. <laughs> okay. Um, just to piggyback on what you're saying, all those things are incredibly important. Unfortunately, a lot of those things are things you don't find out for a while. You know, you don't find out what a team, what much of a team player is. So I'm, you know, the other part of the, of the selection is the very beginning. What kind of person are you looking for who's sitting in front of your desk to be interviewed um, before they go to the next step in the interview process? Um, And for me, it's always been, I'm looking for somebody who is driven obviously driven based on their, what they've done in the past on their resume, as well as the way they present themselves. I'm looking for somebody who's, who, who I could grade as being intelligent, somebody who's articulate, somebody who can speak the King's English, um, somebody who cares enough to get dressed up when they come in the room uh, for the interview. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, it is amazing how many people who have, have issues with those kinds of things. And it's because there's been nobody to train them, nobody to tell them. I'm sure my father, when I was interviewing, was saying, tell put a suit on, even if I didn't know it. Um, but at the same time, if you have those basics, at least you have a beginning to find out you're, they're worth the, tr- the test of hiring to find out whether they're a team player, yep. whether they can resist the lows and the highs. You have to have some sort of qualification to get them past the interview seat. Tony, you said something at the very beginning of the episode, which I want to make sure we don't forget, which is hiring someone that doesn't have sales baggage. And that's something that you've always emphasized with us is because, you know, it's, it's hard to train salespeople. It's really hard to break bad habits and then retrain them to do what we want them to do for, for a process that we know works. So that's another thing too, is, is understanding what their background is. And just because someone has a sales background doesn't mean they're going to be a great fit for your organization. Yeah. I mean, if you're faced, I've often, a position that, that uh, if I'm looking for a um, X and one of my, I have two candidates, the one candidate has been in the X industry forever selling and the other one hasn't at all. Um, I'm often inclined to go to the other. Yep. You always um, have. Yeah. Just because uh, if they're the right person in terms of the first look at being intelligent and driven and all those kinds of things, because intelligence is, you know, you can get to the nuts of it pretty darn quick. I think everybody believes the job they do is the most difficult thing in the world. It's not. Um, and I'd rather have somebody who uh, doesn't waltz in here with some preconceived notion that maybe 
you know, they're going to, they're going to kick ass because they've been doing it for three or four years. Right. Um, so, anyway. you know, one thing that we've had success with that other people could try for themselves is to use interns or part-timers and, mm-hmm. you know, you can see pretty quickly after a month or two, whether they have, have the chops to do the job. And then it's an easy transition potentially if it's a good fit for everybody to pull them into a full-time role. So that's one way to kind of, and I know it doesn't fit Tony's model of being a full-time person, but you know, a college intern is, yeah, it's, a, um, it's a kind of a nice little proving grounds just to see if they have the basics to, to be a good fit. And there's colleges everywhere and there's kids that are always looking for money. So it's, it's one, it's one tool you can use. Um, another thing that we've done and it's is usually when we're trying to hire a salesperson, we'll hire two knowing we're probably only going to keep one because mm. usually one of those two isn't going to, is going to fall off the map and not ask questions or do all those different things that we talked about before. Uh, and it wasn't until this last wave of hires that we actually kept both. It was, it was Patrick and Tyler. Um, that was the first time we've ever kept that both of them have made it through the gauntlet of the in-tech training program. <laughs> when, you think of a gauntlet, when you think about it, Xerox um, and IBM and those companies from those days, they hired 10 or 12 people in each branch right out of college. And they trained them and it was extensive. And, but you know why they did it? Because that was the best kind of pro- prototype but they could afford to do it because it's expensive. Most small companies can't afford to hire people right out of the cradle and tra- they'd much prefer to find a guy who's 50% there, 80% there, or an old pro. But there's good and bads on both sides of that story. Yep. Um, yep. So. True. If we're, I, I want to go here because uh, I'm intrigued with, you know, you were selling for Xerox, Tony, um, way back, you know, sales has changed a lot. It's, I it's, wore sandals and a tunic. Yeah, Sandals in a tunic. It was so so far back. let's see the, the the pyramids are in the distance. You got your sandals on. Um, look, I know it's got it's just the 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 contrast from selling for Xerox to selling industrial coatings now. That, that's that's quite the that's quite the trek. Is there a particular story that stuck with you, whether it was a big win or a, or a loss, something you didn't think was going to go your way that you could share with us today that just taught you something? Uh, set the set the stage here, Tone. Too like, is this back in the seventies? Like, did what were you like? What were you driving? You know, what did you have the ponytail? Like, what, is this what's about going a girl? on? Well, it yeah, depends it on be. where this is going to go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> depends on if we want that seventh and eighth listener. We want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, if it's if it's a sales example, I, I would say. Um, I had a, an opportunity with, with uh, a, a rather large company selling software. Um, and um, I, we used to have a thing with this company where every, the last day of every, or the first day of every month, first Monday of every month, we would meet in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. The sales team and all the technical people would get rooms and we would present the opportunity that we thought was most likely to close that year and also that was um, um, not only going to close, but it was, it was in many cases having problems. What are all the points of light that I need to get to? What haven't I, what I, we had to present it on a board and let them eat your lunch about what you were doing wrong. Talk about pain. 
Um, and I, this was a big opportunity and it was the one that was going to let me keep my job. And with two months before it shit the bed, the, 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 they just came to me and they said, you know, we're, we can't afford this or we, what I can't even remember what the reason was. Was and, it a hard stop? Like there's no chance to recover from it. You mean? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the way they presented it because they yeah. didn't want me calling. They didn't want me to cry anymore. You know, the, you know all those kinds of things. Um, and I had a choice. I could have walked um, and, um, and I didn't. And I went into um, my supervisor and uh, who was the VP of sales at the time. And, and, he, and he, we formulated a plan where we literally went back to square one we didn't have an appointment. We knocked on the door. We prepared something for how, you know, based on what we knew, what we thought we could come up with. And that, and by the grace of God, and, the, and, and just the coolness of my, my guy, my, um, we pulled it out of the fire. And wow. I think a, a lot of times people um, on that up and down, um, uh, the, uh, get so muddled in emotions that they don't keep on trying. Yeah. And there, there's always a chance. Just be professional. You can't beg and stuff like that. But. Well, the other part of that tone is that you had the courage to go and like to your supervisor and say, look, this thing might be dead. I think it is dead. What do you think? And whereas a lot of people go and hide from that and just, you know, let the failure happen. Like you yeah. weren't, you know, you had the resilience to go and, and the humbleness to go and say, Hey, I need help. I, we, maybe we can save this. Maybe we can't, but you know, you're honest about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, um, for me, I guess in my mind, there were no options. Uh, there are a lot of people who just hide, which isn't good. Yeah. Either, but, exactly. Yeah. Well, look guys, I have a couple, uh, closing questions. I'm here with two, uh, big proud Ravens fans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're all hoping Lamar gets better. That's one thing. Let's uh, go. If, if you're a fan of the game, you got to be a fan of that kid. Um, unfortunately, it's coming up in this month. We got the Super Bowl. We've got the uh, we've got Tampa Bay, as they're calling it, as disgusting as that is, going against the Chiefs. Mike, who's winning that game? I think it's gonna. Do I need to go score or just a winner? Give me the give me the winner. Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah. Tony, looking at the league, you think Kansas City's got it? I definitely have. I think they do. I think uh, yeah, we saw Brady's uh, rotten uh, second half. Yeah, we know what he's <laughs> capable of. Um, we know he's ca capable of, and, and we know you know he's still 175 years old. It's, it's yeah. got the break, and this yeah. kid is just too good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think they're tough to beat. Yeah, as no painful doubt. it is for Ravens fans to see, yes. you know, because Mahomes is basically the next coming of Tom Brady in terms of you know just dominance and really really good and, and it's going to be a thorn yeah he's a thorn in the raven's side Smarts. so yeah yeah. yeah you can't teach what that kid's got you just can't um then i've got this scenario too this was sent in tony it's a super bowl party there's no pandemic okay you're going to a super bowl party but they say hey have a make yourself a sandwich meats cheeses but it's all boar's head do you politely decline or do you force yourself to eat a boar's head sandwich no, I raise a ruckus. I say, what the, I say, what, the f what are you thinking? I mean, 
That's the right and answer. That's the right answer. Ding, ding, ding. Give Tony called, five points. It's called, it's called shame the son of a bitch for even <laughs> thinking of doing that. Tony, Tony, if it's your party, where are you getting the meats and cheese? What's on your, on your meat and cheese tray at, awesome. at the Abato house? Always, if, if we're doing what, like panini? Whatever. It's a, your, your world, Tony. You, you tell me. It up. <laughs> if I was doing panini. Panini. Yeah. <laughs> You got the bread and you have to put oil on it. And what you're going to put on it is you're going to uh, put, uh, uh, I make a three meat sauce, bread sauce. So I do that like where I would do the mayonnaise on both sides of the bread. Mm -hmm. And then I put, which is, and it's got three meats in it. It's got sausage, beef, and veal in the, in the sauce. And then I, uh, Parmigiano Reggiano, um, there and you can do it in whatever order you've hits it's too personal to even suggest what order you do it to somebody they got to come up with it on their own but it's provolone it's gabagol it's uh brisciotto and it's uh mozzarella ooh provolone, and then the and the three meat and then maybe if you're feeling frisky you might put some vegetables on there like Whoa. red ooh. peppers Oh. Oh, Where, where's your source? Do you have a, a spot that you go to get all these Italian yeah. specialties? Yeah. yeah. The, the key is, uh, with a reminder about the, the um, uh, boar's head bullshit, um, <laughs> th- there are two left in Baltimore, Ternacchia's and, and, there, and was Mastelloni's. That's the one my family always went to. It was an old man. They were both from Italy, man, a man and his wife. And then when they died, some chain bought it, boar's head in the cases. She used to have wheels of cheese this big. The old man, he was the only one who was allowed to cut the cheese. Yep. I mean, it, because he knew all the kids in the neighborhood that were working there would screw it up and that nothing angered him more than that. So he, he had the knife yeah. and he had the wheel. Today I go to their protégés and it's called Savona's in Bel Air and they're a good, nice Italian family and she's just doing a great job there. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. I had a place, I had a place, my uh, uncle, uh, full disclosure, I had a great uncle who went by the, the name Fish. So in Little Italy, Johnny DeFrancesco was just known as Fish. Nice. And uh, my uncle Fish, some, uh, some yokel famously asked him, why the hell you drive all the way up to uh, Philly to get your Locatelli at the Brunos? Mm-hmm. And he just looked back and said, why the hell wouldn't you? You know, that was the simple answer right there. So I can, I can concur there, Tony. Um, I, if you could uh, do this for us, um, I don't know if everybody knows, you know, everybody knows you got the, the recipe for, for putting together a killer sales process and a team. I don't know if everybody knows that you got the, you've got the recipes. You've got the Italian recipes. You've made your own cookbook. Um, I, I, I find that so fascinating. I love it. Is there a particular dish that, that is your favorite to make? Ooh, good question. Well, to, favorite to make also is what does my favorite, what does my family love the most? What, what okay. makes them just get weep when it comes to the table? <laughs> and I think their favorite today is um, my uh, uh, seafood ravio- uh, lasagna. Yeah, that's Cause a it classic. It, yeah, because it means it's special. It's holidays, yeah. and you have shrimp and scallops and a balsamella sauce, and uh, it just it that's just, in your cookbook. I'm pretty sure. I, I've made that before. I'm I'm not sure if you gave me the recipe or if I saw it in your cookbook. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. And and when it comes to the table, it becomes Christmas in the room. It just, it, you know, the lights, you know how lights kind of fade out, like when you're crying and you see through your tears, you see Absolutely. Like, it's Christmas time. It's a cinematic moment. Yeah. So you're saying people actually come to tears when you bring that seafood lasagna out? Weep. <laughs> It's special, right? Especially if it's once a year. I remember my, my grandpa made wedding soup one time on yep. Christmas. So when you, it's right there, you know, that presentation, you do want to weep looking back on that. That's, that's outstanding. Thank you. And look, if I could wave a magic wand and everyone was healthy, we could travel freely. Would, would Italy be first on your list, Tony? Uh, there's no doubt. I want to go nowhere else. And one other story. When I, when I was, when I was a kid, my grandparents spent the night at our house for Christmas every year, or Christmas Eve, they would get there and they made raviolis. So, you, so they would make raviolis for the next day for the Christmas, for the Christmas dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. Christmas Eve, they would stay up all night, just the two of them, two little old lady and I, our old man and old lady. And they would just talk and it was, they'd be real quiet and you'd hear the spoons doing this when they're mixing this and the, and the cranker. Shots of Anazette? You know. uh, they didn't drink all that much. At least the old man didn't. I think <laughs> that you knew of. Maybe my, <laughs> my, yeah. my I think my grandmother was hitting a little bit. But, um, and then when I'd wake up in the morning, they'd be asleep. They couldn't make the couldn't even make the opening of the presents because they'd been up all night. But there was this fine dust of powder of, of flour still left all over the kitchen from where they made the raviolis. It was so nice. Oh, they didn't wow. clean up after themselves? <laughs> yeah. No. Jesus. That was my job. <laughs> Mike, where, where's the uh, world's yours? We're healthy again. Where's the first place you're going? Yeah, definitely an island somewhere. Probably St. John in the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands. That's yeah. our spot. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, look, I, uh, I've, I've loved this one. I, got, I can't thank you, Mike. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, th there's been a lot of great conversation here on Deliver More on Sales Uncensored this month. So once again, thank you two gentlemen. Uh, we'll see you for the March edition of Deliver More right here from Delahue, Delaware. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.